We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm host. Ah, let's start over again. <laughs> Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Bringing to you the best stories from icons in the bourbon industry, it's Bourbon Pursuit. Now here are your hosts, Ryan and Kenny. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. My name is Kenny, and I've got my co-host here today, Ryan. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Uh, here at Buffalo Trace, excited uh, to hang out with these guys. Uh, really like their stuff, so kind of really interested to talk to Harlan and hopefully become his friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think he's, he's definitely somebody that everybody wants to be friends with because, you know, at this stage, uh, Buffalo Trace is very much a, a huge recognized brand name in, in the bourbon industry. Um, you know, people, maybe they, they, at least some of our readers, you know, a lot of them are sort of listeners, readers, what do we have, an ebook or something here? But, uh, you know, they, they look and maybe they just see the Buffalo Trace and they see that one brand. But, you know, Buffalo Trace comprises of a lot of different brands here. And a lot of the ones that you might not think of, you know, H&H, Eagle Rare, Blanton's, uh, there's, there's, the list goes on for, for a while. Colonel Taylor, Van Winkle, I mean, it Benchmark, just, it, yeah, it, yeah, it keeps going, right? So, 
Uh, we're definitely very excited to have on our, our, our guest here today is Harlan Wheatley. Harlan is the master distiller here at Buffalo Trace. So, you know, definitely glad you could be here today to kind of talk to us uh, and give us, you know, your story, right? So I guess that's kind of a good way to start, right? So kind of tell us, you know, before life at Buffalo Trace, you know, we, we know a little bit about you. Anybody can Google you and find about your history is, you know, uh, you know, engineering background and, you know, kind of how what, what led you to into the, the bourbon realm itself. Well, I think being being from Kentucky and being, you know, born and raised in this area, go, I went to school at University of Kentucky. You know, everybody knows a little bit about the whiskey industry in Kentucky back when I was when I started here, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew, but you know that that for me was uh, enough to keep me in Kentucky. I wanted to stay close to home, close to relatives. We did have family and a business, so you know for me it was kind of a natural progression into it. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, when I got out of college that. So what was the you said there was a family business? Is that what you said? Yeah, we had uh, family in the business. Before prohibition, so okay, legally. So, so, you, <laughs> so, so you do have family lineage and some ties yep, into this, yep. okay? But the um, and then we had some people that experimented as well. Um, but you know, for me, it was about using my education, staying close to home, close to family, and uh, you know, just luckily for me at Buffalo Trace, there was an opening for somebody to work under the distiller at the time, Gary Gayhart, and um, you know, I worked for him until he retired. And so we do kind of things, and we've always done that, even all the way back to uh, the Civil War days. Uh, we've hired somebody with a decent background to train under the current distiller and then continue to work. So, And we kind of do things traditionally here. Yeah, so with Buffalo Trace, like I guess it's different from other distilleries. It seems like the master distiller kind of stays in the family lineage, lineage but here at it seems like nobody's related, but so how, yeah. why is that? Well, I think it's just the way it worked out, but we have, we have, you know, in the distillery, we have a lot of history with families and a lot of different people going and a lot of different generations back. You know, being here 240 years, you're going to have that. And, you know, it's just, it was just kind of the way it worked out as far as distillers go. One thing, you know, the distillers here have all been legitimate uh, and, and we're doing the work up front. And so, you know, when you come to Buffalo Trace, you know everything's authentic. Yep. There's a big difference. Cool. So, about your, uh, you know, before Prohibition era, so your, your family, was there a certain distillery that they worked for? That Jet Brothers Distillery was one of them. And the uh, Jet Brother, I named my son Jet after that. Well, I probably shouldn't tell him it was that. <laughs> it was a family name. Yeah, it's, it's funny. So, my, my wife, we named our first daughter Stella. My wife says she really loves the name, but I, I guarantee it's probably because she loves the beer, too. Yeah, so. right. yeah exactly. Yeah, it was all related, but, you know, we, we did that in honor of the legacy of that name. And, um, you know, it was a, a distillery in Carrollton, Kentucky. And um, we actually looked up, or I tried to look up the family recipe and see if I could re- duplicate it, but is everything was cool. lost. They had a big fire and lost everything, so it's kind of a... But, you know, just in, just the fact that we're in Kentucky, just about everybody in Kentucky knows somebody who's been in the distilling business, you know. Right. And that's not too unusual uh, to, con- to be able to continue that. Yeah, it definitely is a, a tight-knit group, especially between, even now, uh, with between you and other master distillers, right? It's, it's uh, 
it's co-opetition, if you will, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, working together, um, but still, they still have competition in the marketplace. Yeah, we had a little event there Saturday with the Bourbon Review guys. They call it Bourbon uh, Bourbon Classic. The bourbon Classic, yeah, bourbon Classic, yeah. And they had, they had a group of us up on the a panel, the yep. panel, and we were talking about, and it was pretty friendly. You know, you every now and then you get a couple jabs, <laughs> but usually. Most people don't do any jabs. It's mostly a friendly atmosphere, especially in production. It's one of the very unique things that, that you kind of see in this industry is, is that ability for everybody to be very cordial to each other still. Because it's it's definitely not a cutthroat industry because no. you've all experienced the same hardships through, uh, you know, the downtimes of the brown market and stuff like that too. So Right. Yeah, it, I think... The high waters is floating all boats for sure. Right. <laughs> and, uh, we're we're all in this together, and I think everybody realizes that we're not. And you know, sales and marketing is probably a little bit different. You know, they they do worry about market share and things like that, but but in production, it's not that way. Yeah, absolutely. We all get our corn, <laughs> rye, malt, and all that from different from different areas, but same basically the same areas at the same time. Right, right, right. That's cool. Um, so when you went to when you went into University of Kentucky, did where you like said on, hey, I want to work at a distillery, or did you like you were in Kentucky and start drinking bourbon? Like, hey, I really want to get a distillery. Yeah, I did. I, I <laughs> just kind of landed, right? Yeah, I was drinking bourbon, but the uh, the you know chemical engineering is a, a unique um, deal because there's not a lot of jobs in Kentucky for chemical engineers. You might go to Ashland Oil, or there's a few, you know, but this, the distilling business is actually perfect for that. And uh, I've actually done some work with University of Kentucky since my graduation, and we've been talking about they're actually starting an apprentice program. Uh, I mean, not apprentice, but uh, so, uh, associates kind of thing. Not or? associate. You have to figure that out. <laughs> like a we'll throw an adjective in there. For yeah, us. kind of a trade school, vocational kind of thing yes. to be. And a, anyway, I've been over there talking with them about that and working with them to, to start that because no, no no place better than Kentucky and all of the U.S. They have something out in, in uh, California. There's one in Michigan State, too, I think, a distillery-like program. I think there. UC Davis does something, and, but U- University of Kentucky should do it. Right, absolutely. And so uh, certificate program, that's what it's called. Gotcha. And um, and they're, they're working on that. Well, I think it's interesting because it will definitely get uh, a lot more people, I guess, involved with it, right? Because, yep. I mean, I guess, you know, we've talked to different people and they say, you know, like, how did you get into bourbon? They're like, well, at some point I just needed a job, right? And it just <laughs> right. kind of like fell stuck around it. here. Right. But, but now it's becoming almost, uh, it's a destination job, right? That people are, are wanting to start getting into the business. They want to understand it. Uh, and schooling is definitely a, a good way to get there. You know, I guess the one thing that we, we always see that's pretty common among all these distilleries is that uh, it's, it's people stay there a long time, right? There's not a whole lot of turnover. So maybe the job market will be there. Maybe it won't when they come out, right? But it's but with the business always steadily growing, there's, there's always going to be some kind of open positions that are going to be well, happening. I saw some stats, you know, not too long ago. They estimated about 15,000 jobs in Kentucky. Are with the distilleries, and you know you're talking about sales, marketing, uh, production, you know bottling, any kind of. There's lots of different jobs, um, so that that all is something that kind of gets lost, and we we really should promote that in Kentucky, absolutely, because all these guys are going to school and, and trying to get different degrees. There's a big industry there that's alive and well, and it's becoming more global. Not even at the distilleries, just like the Cooperages, Vendome, you know, yeah, you just got this 
wholesale trucking, farming, it, farming. So it's uh, yeah, metalwork, you know, engineering, uh, electrician. My dad's a machinist, so machinist. he helps you know tool and die repair at some local right. distilleries. So yeah. So when you add that all up, the you know I think universities should promote that because you know when these guys come out of school. You know, they most time most of them want jobs. Some mm-hmm. of them don't, but, but uh, the ones that do come out, they have a good industry. In my opinion, the best industry in the state. Absolutely. So, I guess give us some 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 background in your. I guess you could say it was an apprenticeship. You know, yep. uh, but to become the master distiller. So, you know, the years, the study, and 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 how you kind of gain those skills to, to where you are today. I started, you know, with working under Gary, and I worked for him for ten years. And, you know, all throughout that 10 years, we did everything from raw ingredients all the way to the maturing of barrels. So, um, you know, I think from basically that experience, tasting and all the things that you do in a 10-year period, you, you pick that up. And then you combine that with a little bit of a little bit of education. It, it tends to help. And then you understand the engineering stuff behind it and try to pick up how the, how the plant works. And then once you figure that out, then you can kind of operate. So I guess how long do you think it really took for you to master it, right? Or do you, you know, think it's still an, always an education you know, process? It is definitely an always an educational process. And I asked Gary that question before he retired. He, he was here 37 years. And I asked him a couple of days before he left, I said, did you ever stop learning? And he said no. Because we talked about that all the time. I mean, we were together. We were learning things. Uh, you're bouncing ideas off of each other, and you know things are always changing, equipment malfunctioning or whatever, uh, weather, whatever you're talking about, farms and and uh, wood and barrels and on and on and on. So you're always adapting to change and and uh, learning on the fly, and you have to pick up all those things along the way. Otherwise, you you know you have to be very versatile. What the, what kind of oh sorry didn't mean to interrupt what kind of traits do you think you possess that kind of led them to cho- chose you or like what makes you know a great master stiller I think you know believe it or not I think you have to have a little bit of imagination I don't think and nothing is a cookie cutter you have to have some imagination and, and want wanting to innovate and and do some things uh, to improve operations and whatever we whatever we're doing at the time so I think that's an important part of it personally. Uh, it's not it's not cut and dry in a laboratory. That kind of feeds into Buffalo Trace's motto, right? It does, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know if that's by coincidence or it's just the way it worked out, but but the uh, but I think it's an important part of it. I think you do have to have a strong background and understand engineering, and chemistry, and things like that. But, uh, so on that that kind of same topic of, of innovation, right? So maybe a lot of listeners they understand that that Buffalo Trace is known for a lot of different bourbon brands, but there is a brand here that's named after you, right? So I guess go ahead and talk about the, the one thing that, that maybe people don't know. Well, we just started that brand about, it's been on the, at, at our gift shop for about five or six months now, and we just released it out to the, li- the liquor stores and liquor barn specifically um, about two months ago. So it's relatively new. It's a, it's a vodka that that we uh, produced, and it's 10 times distilled. And, that you know, all, all that is a culmination of a lot, a lot of experience. You know, we started making vodka in 1997, and we basically started from scratch with no instructions. And all the things that we learned along the way, the, be- the you know, how can we make the best-tasting vodka that we can possibly make, really? 
And uh, I kind of feel that bottle represents that. It's a We distill it the right amount of times. It's made with a good, it's actually two different recipes, made properly and, uh, you know, and uh, it's just a really good clean vodka. So I guess you could think as a master distiller, you're doing a lot of tasting. So at least that gives you a, a different flavor palette That's to right. kind of yeah. kind of well, throw around, right? Yeah, right. you're just tired of tasting bourbon. You're like, I got to get something in here to <laughs> change it up. Well, it's, it actually stemmed from marketing. They, they came into our still house one time, and we have a, a light whiskey still in the still house that was put in 1969. And uh, we had never used it, never hooked it up, never been operated. And the marketing guy walked through there in uh, 97 and he said do you think you could run this still and of course immediately said yes because nobody going to back down from a challenge <laughs> we had no idea how to run the damn thing and didn't have instructions and, and uh, no controls hooked up but we hooked it all up and started running trial and error and just figured it out and really, like I said we just over time figured out the best way to make a good clean good tasting vodka over time you know so you, you kind of separate that out from your, your yep. core business a little yeah, it's bit? Kind of, it was totally different. What we would do on the vodka is run that. When the when we get done with the bourbon in the summertime, we were down two or three months every summer, and there was nothing else to do other than, you know, repairs and maintenance. And it was another product for us to produce. So we consolidated everything to the summer. We finally got to the point where a couple of years ago, we got to the point where we couldn't do that because we're making so much bourbon. So we actually installed a separate uh, vodka still, uh, and we we can run that simultaneous now with the bourbon, and we're making vodka at the same time. So, so I guess then that means <clears throat> all production had to ramp up through bottling, through all that sort of stuff, right? So I, I guess yeah. so I guess uh, give us some kind of uh, idea of you know how many bottles and barrels you think you're you're pumping out here per day. Well. We right now we're running about 820 barrels a day or so of whiskey, and you know it's, for us that's a little bit different. We a couple of years ago we we're only running running one shift, and we've ramped up production to the point now where we're running the distillery 24 hours a day, six months out of the year, uh, and then we're the other six months we're only running back to the one one shift production. So we still have some capacity here, uh, but we're quickly mopping it up you know we're continuing to expand we basically ran out of space and warehousing so we're we're expanding our warehousing currently and we repurchased some uh office buildings and converting those back to the original uh barrel warehouses and we're storing barrels over there and planning expansion get rid of some, some desk chairs and some some all that kind of yeah. stuff it, it basically just throwing some bourbon I was just there, over huh? there this morning and you know three and a half months ago we had somebody over there doing book work on the desk <laughs> some old Cisco phones sitting on the table yeah, or something yeah. like that and you go over there right now and it, you, you would never know it it's full barrels and trying to optimize every space yeah. that's, that's interesting that's definitely interesting Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So I guess let's let's kind of go back a little bit about um, you know the brands and and kind of what your what your job here is as a master distiller, right? So I guess on average, like you know, tastings, right? So when you're when you're doing your tastings and you're you're looking for certain characteristics or profiles of the brand, you know, like how many how many tastings do you think you would do maybe in a, a week, a day, whatever it kind of is? I pretty much taste every day. We we do uh, we do a lot of single barrel selections. And I go up to, we have a tasting panel that we call it, and uh, you go up to the lab and you'll they'll already sample the barrels and have them in glasses. And we'll taste probably 30, 40 samples every day, sometimes more than that. It just depends on our workload and how many we need to barrel. And uh, so we'll go up there and the tasting panel. So if I'm away, if I'm in San Francisco or some other city, uh, it doesn't shut down, obviously. We've mm-hmm. got other people trained to, to taste, and, and we have to have a commitment. And so if we have we have a minimum of five people that taste, all five people have to agree that those barrels taste like they should, according to standard. Uh, if we have one person out of the five that doesn't agree, it's kicked out. So it doesn't matter if I agree or not. You know, it's the whole group has to agree. Right. Yeah. So it's the I best guess, way to operate. Yeah. So I guess for, for some of the listeners out there, the one thing is that, you know, you think – when you think of Buffalo Trace, and we talked about all those brands earlier, there's actually three different mash bills, right? There's mash bill one, mash bill two, and W.L. Weller. But I guess so you're looking for those certain characteristics that fit an Eagle Rare brand to be able to say, like, this barrel is definitely going to fit uh, this sort of flavor profile. Is that sort of the, the kind of way that it goes? That is exactly the way it goes. So we'll have a standard depending on – we have about 20 bourbons, and each one of those bourbons have a standard. Uh, so Eagle Rare is an example. is a 10-year-old rye bourbon and we we have three we have actually have three rye bourbons uh and it's the lowest of the rye bourbon so it's a 10 year old low rye bourbon that we have a standard for and we'll taste and compare those barrels to that oh good no that, that definitely makes sense so so you have you have a team that's involved within this so it's definitely a group consensus so if, it, if something gets kicked out let's just say that so this barrel gets, gets kicked out what happens to it? Is it does it go well, back into aging? It, it's you know, a, a, it's not some, ready yet, or some yeah. some secret project that you're gonna have to figure out for later on. So or? We get a lot of volunteers to take those. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on that list. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, but we call that the disposition of the barrel. So, so if if we most of the time that barrel 
either gets dumped into a bigger tank of a 10-year-old bourbon uh, or it could go younger, like an 8-year-old bourbon. Depends on how it tastes. But we do uh, just declare the disposition of that barrel based on our taste. So very few times, if we taste, you know, 100 samples that are bad, maybe two of those might get dumped into a younger bourbon or, or something like that. And the rest of them are either go back to aging, maybe a little longer, or they just get used for something else. So it just depends. Maybe one out of a thousand gets destroyed. I mean, maybe probably more than that, one out of... And let's put it this mm-hmm. way. In 20 years, I've probably tasted 10 that we've destroyed. Right. So it's not very many. What the, for, for the taste, I guess, and characteristics, what's more important, that mash bill or the, the aging process to you? If you ask me the question, but more important than Mashville or aging, I would say aging. Now, they're all important, but aging is the pretty much the critical uh, part of the process uh, as far as different labels go because you can take a recipe, a perfect example is Eagle Rare and Buffalo Trace. Same recipe and create two different style bourbons by aging it differently. And so that's a pretty important. I, I generally, I've been asked that before, but I generally say aging is about 50% mm-hmm. of the responsible for about 50% of the quality of that product. So it's a big deal. The rest of it, well, you can bust it out. And I kind of say recipe is about 12% because gotcha. I've been mm-hmm. asked that before, you know. But, uh, so it just depends. But is they're it, all important, yeah. critically important, really. So, I mean, I, I guess that always goes back to, to the innovation piece, right? So you're, you're looking for new things. You're looking to try out new things. So I guess... Give some, give some people the understanding of, of the Single Oak Project, even though it's it's just running its, its final run right now. But talk about, the I guess, a little bit of the history of it and, um, you know, what, what you're really experimenting with. Well, first of all, we dedicated that project to Ronnie Eddins. And Ronnie Eddins, his initials are on every bottle. And Ronnie Eddins was our warehouse manager. Uh, he started here in 1961, and he just passed away about five years ago. And... He dedicated his life, his professional life, I, I guess, to us. And he was involved with that project from the beginning. And what we did is we went out into the forest and hand-selected trees. We did GPS locations of those trees. We cut each tree down. We made a barrel out of each, two barrels, actually, one from the top half, one from the bottom half of each tree. And then we aged different recipes in those barrels. And we had seven total variables. And from those variables, we basically, I think it was 192 barrels that we released to the public over a course of four-year period. It was eight-year-old bourbon, and then we released that out for four years, and we're getting feedback on the website from the general public. And the winner, basically the winner, the most, the highest-rating bourbon of all those bourbon barrels, we're going to create the first single oak bourbon by the general public. And uh, it's basically, so if you can imagine, it took us about a year to plan it, eight years to age the bourbon, four years to release it. And then once we figure out which one to make, it's going to take us eight more years to make it. So it's about a 18 to 20 year project. And uh, Any, Anything in the bourbon industry is a, a patience. Yeah, you have to have long-term game. vision, right. to, to say the least. Uh, if y'all ever thought about, I know it wouldn't be considered a bourbon, but playing around with different other other woods or barrels, we have, and you know, I think we've publicly said it, but we've we've experimented with barrels from all over the world, 
and uh, we've got about 3,200 barrels in the warehouse of different things, not just wood, but different recipes, different distillations, and, and all kinds of things. Yeah, if you, if you Google around, there's there's definitely uh, people talk about the Mongolian wood, right? Right. About, about it's 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 the, the flavor characteristics are, I guess, um, completely different from what you would expect, right? Yep. yep. And and what we've seen is there are differences depending on where the wood is grown. It's still white oak, mm-hmm. but it's picks up, I guess, from the environment, different flavor profiles. And so, you know, at some point when we deem it's ready, the whiskey will release it and show people what we think. Yeah, and so and without even trying to pry anymore, but, I mean, there's a, there's another thing you guys have here called uh, Warehouse X, right, yeah. the, the, the experimentation warehouse that you do all kinds of, of crazy things with it. And, you know, I'm not going to try to pry anything, but, you know, I guess this kind of give us an example of, of what are the, some of the things that you might be – uh, thinking about dealing with whether it's um, you know more sunlight, open air concepts, uh, temperature gauges, whatever it is. So everything you just said, we're doing, <laughs> and anything that involves the environment, we're going to do it. And it's we've laid out basically twenty years of experiment. So it's similar similar to the single oak project. We've got twenty year experiment that we're six months into, and we're we're experimenting with air all the variables. And the combination of variables of airflow, sunlight, temperature, and humidity. So, like we do all the exploring with temp- with uh, recipes and wood and distillation and, and things like that, we're also exploring the environment. So, the idea when you bring those two things together, you get you come up with maybe the best tasting bourbon you can possibly make. You know. Yeah. So, so I guess that also feeds in because you know you can talk to some other massive distilleries, you can talk to people in the industries, and they might say, you know, stick with what you know, right? Which I agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> stick with what you know. Um, and I guess you know you're doing a lot of these experiments. Is there's what's the what's the big I guess uh, cataclysmic reason behind it? You know, why isn't you just say, well, we we're really good at just doing this, yeah. and it's selling really well. Let's just keep going for that. You know, yeah. is, is it looking for Finding, finding the taste of other people that, that want to start looking at it? Is it trying to keep the, the Buffalo Trace fan base happy by introducing new and exciting things? You know, what, what do you kind of see it as? I think most people realize that if you rest on what you if – you, if you don't continue to progress, yep. you will be left behind because somebody else will do it. Innovator die. That's, a, yeah, that's another innovator quote, die. Right? Is, is, and most people understand that. Now, some people in the bourbon industry don't understand that. But, <laughs> but I think most people in the world do. And we, we definitely understand that. We think that there's always some way to, to improve or, or, if anything else, allow us to, be, to continue to be consistent in our products. And in order to be consistent, you have to completely understand the process. There's lots of theories out there and lots of things out there that, that we think we know, but we, we don't know for sure unless we prove it. And, I, you know, and with Warehouse X is a perfect example. There's lots of theories out there on barrels and how they're aging and we've already disproved a couple of them in yeah. six months so i think i think the their full understanding it takes you know some science and some understanding of the whole process so i think it's just like nascar to everyday cars you know you, you prove things out on the track and then you release the new tires yeah. 10 years later. It's like and it happens all the time. failing forward. you got to fail, right. you know, to kind of re- yep. figure out what works. Why do we use so much corn and bourbon? I mean, it's, it's regulated. We have to use 51%. But, you know, what's the key ingredient? What are we looking for there? And, uh, 
we're trying to understand it all. So do you think Warehouse X is what makes your job fun and exciting still, especially in an industry that is has such rich tradition and uh, has, hasn't completely changed a whole lot? No, I think it is fun. We're allowed to do that. I mean, we have owners that that support us being able to do that. We're privately held. We don't have to answer to shareholders. And I and I understand that and appreciate that because, you know, if you had shareholders, you probably couldn't do half the stuff we do because it's not profit it's not a profit center. It's it's about learning about the future and so on. So I think that's an important part of it. It does make it fun, uh, a little bit exciting. I think everything we do in general, uh, you asked me that earlier about getting tired of it. I, I haven't yet to get tired of it. I mean, there's, there's nothing to get tired of. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, love my wife, still. I love my wife's meatloaf, but if I had to eat it, you know, 20 days in a row, I might get tired of yeah, it. Yeah, 10 right? times a day for 20 <laughs> days in a row. Right, right. So another thing, you know, the innovation and thinking about the future, you know, how is how is Buffalo Trace thinking about the future in regards to, because pretty much right now, a lot of the products are already pretty much pre-allocated, right? And, and how do you sit there and you think, well, I need to forecast for um, the next, I think about 23 years, right? So, right. so a lot of people, especially if they've really never talked about bourbon before, don't realize that all of our production for Pappy Van Winkle for 2038 is complete. And we're, we're looking at 2039, how much to make. So when our, when our production plan is put together, we have to look at 2039, 2040, 2041. And you don't have 10-year plans, you have 100-year plans. <laughs> we, do actually, we do actually have 100-year plans because, you know, we're concerned with forests and how yeah. trees grow and, and all that kind of thing. So Because that, that definitely affects everyone, right? Because everybody's got to get barrels. Everybody's right. allocated on barrels, and it's, it's definitely even harder because you have – Nobody thinks about the liquid. You got to think about the process that goes into right. getting all that too. Yeah, we're, we, you know, I have a meeting on Thursday with the, the national forest guys because you know one of the things we're not doing is harvesting harvesting uh, wood from the national forest. We're just letting 150 million board feet of, of wood you know die a year in the national Daniel Boone National Forest, and it's not being used. So, you know, what, why why are we letting this wood die when we could properly manage as long as we properly manage the forest? You know, can be done. So, I think you have to balance. You know, make sure environmentally it's right, but at the same time, not let it die. At the same right, time, right, go to waste. You know, for us, it's a pretty important thing. Absolutely. So it's it's a it's really good that you're able to come on here and just give a, a kind of a, a look into your day because it's just not about the bourbon anymore, right? I mean, it's it's, well, it's about everything else that yeah. affects it, right? Yeah, I mean, at it's, the end of the day, it's, yeah. it's the facilities, it's the people, yeah. it, it's everything, right? It is everything that goes in the, to at the end of the day having a bottle of bourbon, but but you know it's a long term. It, it, we talked about that earlier. It touches a lot of different people, right? A lot of different uh, facets. What's uh What's the favorite part of your job that you? That you're like, I, this makes me keep coming back and loving it. I think my favorite part is when we do public tastings and people see the bourbon and taste the bourbon. One hundred percent of the time, they're happy. <laughs> I've never, I've never been to one that people aren't out enjoying themselves. <laughs> so, I think we're in an industry where it just generally makes people happy, and it's kind of an entertainment business, you know. And so, I think. That part is, uh, I know I'll never get tired of that for sure. Then you, you end up with wrist cramps because you're writing, writing autographs all day <laughs> too, right? Yeah, that's a little. Does, that, does the celebrity part of it kind of get old or do you? No, I mean, it's just for me, it's, I, I just try to, you know, I'm, I, I'll sign them if you want me to sign them, but that's, uh, 
it's not about that. So. I hate when people sign them because I'm like, for some reason, I feel like I shouldn't drink it. But yeah, I can't, I can't open this bottle anymore, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, my theory on that is to have two of them. <laughs> right. Well, with your all stuff, it's impossible to get one. Well, so yeah. True. <laughs> but, you have to. You just have to get on the right list. I, I know. But we'll, when, we'll talk later about yeah, your right. lawn. <laughs> but when demand's good, that means business is good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, fantastic. Well, Harlan, we definitely appreciate you no being problem. on the show today. This is uh, uh, a great and hopefully, you know, once the, a few more releases come out, we can come back and interview again and talk about those. I think it'd be a, a really interesting topic. So if, uh, if you enjoy what you're listening to, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit. Yep. Uh, just feedback, suggestion, comments. Uh, thanks, Harlan, again. Appreciate it. Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, hope you enjoy it. And have a good day.